right, good morning. Let me encourage you to find a seat. It looks like there's some available here this morning. We, our group is down a little bit. Most of you know Pastor Jason's son, Ty, was married yesterday up in Indiana. And so they are up there, of course, this weekend and uh, understand things went really well yesterday. A beautiful wedding. The young lady he married is... Her name is Holly, and uh, they have bought a house here in Charleston, so we'll be getting to know uh, Holly a little bit in the days ahead. So we congratulate them on their wonderful weekend. But we are glad that you are here today. Uh, if you are newer uh, here at Randolph Street, we welcome you. Thank you for coming today. Uh, we are so very glad that you are here. I trust that you sense the presence of the Lord here. I trust that you're able to worship the Lord. If you're not a follower or a believer in Christ, that as the gospel is opened up today, that he, by his kind grace, would draw you to himself. And so we're looking for God to do some great and mighty things among us. If you would take your bulletin, just a few announcements to draw to your attention. The upcoming training hour classes for the adults these all start uh, the second Sunday in September, and they'll run through the end of December. And so please look at those, choose what class that you might like to do. Uh, there are some classes uh, that we're looking through a book on the study of Christ on uh, gentle and lowly. And uh, there's a ladies class. Uh, you need to sign up for that, but there's plenty of space in there. There are books available in the back. We have received about 200 copies of the book, Gentle and Lowly, free. And so please take one of those. You don't have to have one per family. You can take one per person. If you know someone who might benefit from the book, please do not hesitate to take it and give it to them. Now, don't sell it to them. You have to give it to them. And so please uh, get those out. They're given to us to get into the hands of people to read and understand and study. So they're in the back. Please pick up a copy uh, at your uh, desire. The ladies' Bible study takes place. All the details are listed there in the bulletin. Please make note of that. Our to every door, our outreach to the west side continues. If you are interested in membership, some have already contacted me, but if you're interested in being a part of the church, would like to go through what we call our starting point or new member class, uh, please let me know. I'm not sure what the schedule will be, but we'll put that together and contact you. Okay. Let's take a moment and kind of quiet our minds before the Lord to try to focus on him, to push the many things that crowd into our mind. We want to be able to come today. The call to worship comes from Psalm 66, and it is a glorious call. It is a challenging call to us as we come before the Lord that we would worship him in, in a glorious way. So let's prepare our hearts to be able to do this. Take a moment. Thank you. 
please stand with me. Listen carefully as I read from Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, who keeps eyes, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Let us make praise of our Lord glorious this morning. the Heidelberg Catechisms continues to follow that definition of our faith and where our faith is grounded from the Apostles' Creed, we come to this question this morning. What do we believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit... Father, 
so many times as we confess our faith, as we think through the many truths that define our walk with you, our relationship with you, we are like the psalmist. We just shout for joy. We declare how awesome are your deeds. Father, we are so grateful that as a people redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ that you have given us the Holy Spirit who is indeed a part of you, the triune God. That he comes, he has taken up residence in us, he comforts us, he protects us, he makes us one with Jesus, that we share in all the benefits of the gospel. He guides us. Oh, Father, how we thank you Teach us through your, the Holy Spirit. And so, God, we would ask you this morning through the working of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to truth, to enable us to give worship that is due your name. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit, and we rejoice in that and give you glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand and let's worship together. Servants good and faithful, as saints of old still are. 
you are, lend your ears and affection to this God's holy word. A reading from the Gospel of John. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. 
Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. A reading from Paul's epistle to the Corinthians. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and when the spirit of the Lord, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes from the Lord, for this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Amen. Please stand.
This morning, we'll be starting our study of the book of Acts. And if you will, open your Bibles to chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 14. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as Pastor Tim leads us into this study of the book of Acts and how Jesus began to build his church through the work of the disciples, we ask that through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, you would open our hearts and minds to a greater understanding of what it means to be included as your people, both as individuals and as Randolph Street. In the early chapters, we see the believers coming together in fellowship and prayer and sharing of meals together. And as the early church grew, they became involved in the care and feeding of widows and orphans and those in need. And shortly, sending out missionaries and sending back aid to the churches that were in need. Most of all, they proclaimed the gospel message to a world that needed to hear the good news. Jesus is building his church. And through your word, we have examples and instructions of what we have been called to do. Today we live in a confused and divided world, and at times it is difficult to stay focused 
of what we have been called to do. We ask this morning that through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, both as individuals in Randolph Street, you would strengthen us and guide us and especially use us as arms and legs to build Jesus' church. Our purpose is to glorify you, and we do that best by being willing and obedient subjects in your kingdom. Also, this morning, there are those in our little group that are struggling with sickness and difficult situations. We would ask that you would comfort and encourage them and that you would keep the rest of us aware of their needs, that we might be the vehicles that you use to bring them relief. We pray this morning for the network of churches in Appalachia that Pastor Jason and Tim are establishing, that they might know that Randolph Street is here to support them, and for the missionaries scattered here and abroad, and especially for Andrew Chu, who works in an area where the government is actively persecuting the Christian church. We live in a broken world, and it's easy to find problem spots everywhere. But we especially pray this morning for those in Afghanistan who have been left behind and abandoned. Jesus said to the disciples, look at the field. It is white for the harvest. You have given each of us talents and abilities. Now use us as workers in your fields here in Charleston and around the world. We ask for all of this this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and for your glory. Amen.
Thank you, Keith, Stephen. Thank you, Walker, for reading the scriptures and praying this morning for our worship team. Each one has had a part in leading us to the throne of grace, and I trust that we have made God's praise glorious today. As Walker said, we are continuing in the book of Acts. Actually, instead of launching into the, uh, the text today, we're going to do another week of introduction. Pastor Jason introduced the book of Acts this past Lord's Day, kind of setting forth as often you do in a introductory type message, kind of the overarching purpose of the book. He identified six themes that are key in understanding the history of the early church. You recall that he said that Acts kind of covers the first 30 years of history of uh, the New Testament church. And he concluded, as he often does, and these are very meaningful to me, we tried to capture those in the church email that we sent out this week. If you take time to, to look at those and uh, to read them, I hope that there's something that's helpful to your heart in the middle of the week. But he spoke about four prayers that he has as a pastor and we share as shepherds of this flock for us as a church family as we study this book in the coming months. When he spoke about the purpose statement, he made two particular um, identifying marks on that. He said it is Jesus, and Walker picked this up in his prayer, Jesus is building his church, and he also spoke about the movement of the gospel. I would like to pick up on those two themes this morning, really a united theme, and to see kind of how Christ is building his church. That, of course, comes from the great confession that Peter makes, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is Christ the Lord. And Jesus makes that statement, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a particularly satisfying and enjoyable message for me to preach. In my 40 years plus of ministry, I have so enjoyed the church. I've enjoyed ministering to the people of God. It's been our lot to be involved in planting churches, going into an area where there was a need for a gospel work to be raised up, and there, by God's grace, seeing people brought to Christ, the prayers that you prayed, God brought faces to those prayers, and having the joy and the privilege of actually seeing a church begun. And so I enjoy what I'm doing here this morning as we take a look at how Jesus Christ builds his church. Introductions sometimes are overlooked as far as their importance. When you read through the Bible, when you enter into a book, most study Bibles will take a few pages and dedicate to an overview, an introduction to introduce you to an author, to introduce you to the context, the time of the writing, and just several things that if you know before you start your journey through a book can become extremely helpful. It helps you identify things as you go on the way. It, it helps you look for certain things that are extremely helpful in understanding why God put that particular book or letter or poem or whatever it might be, why it is included in Holy Scripture. 
And so the introduction both last week and this week, I trust will serve to help us as we look forward into this book. I think and I hope that it is my desire in preaching today that we will be aware that God is actively building his church. And it didn't stop at those 30 years. He continues to do that. I trust that as we watch Christ build his church that we can see Randolph Street emerging in our thoughts, that we can see that what is happening here is dedicated to Christ and it is carried out by Christ. It is the Holy Spirit doing those things, that we have honored what God has set forth in his word and how he will build his church. In many ways, it is extremely simple and yet complex in the sense that no work of God is just black and white in that sense. It, it includes so many things. It is bringing so many elements together as only a sovereign, all-knowing God can do. And so I trust as you see this today, you'll see your part in building this church. You'll see Randolph Street in this. But more than anything, that we will see our Lord. The first thing I want us to look at, and I think is extremely important, that God builds his church with a very intentional, consistent, and eternal plan. God is sovereignly redeeming a people for his name, for his glory. It has always been that way. In just a moment, we're going to kind of look back in history and see God bringing a people together for his glory. One of the books that we are using as a study help in understanding the book of Acts is written by a gentleman in the name of Daryl Bach. Daryl Bach, in his introduction, hits a lot of different facets of the book. In any book of the Bible, there's a lot of themes that you could, you could trace. Jason brought out six last Sunday morning. But I like the way he concludes his introductory section. He says this, The real center of the book, however, is God. At key junctures, God enables, directs, protects, and orchestrates. Most of this divine activity is designed to spread the message of the word of the gospel to humanity. Let me read that again. I do not want you to miss this because this is the heart, I believe, and the core of God's working in the history of the church. Most of this divine activity, God at the core, God is orchestrating, God's sovereignly bringing this about. This divine activity is designed, it's intentional. It is designed to spread the message of the word of the gospel to humanity. His is a savior and has, it is a savior, he is a savior and has reconciled humanity to himself through the person of Jesus. As we begin this morning, I would like to kind of go way, way back, clear to the book of Genesis, and kind of pick up a theme here of God redeeming a people for himself. I mentioned that God builds the church. It is a consistent, it is an eternal plan. It isn't something that just came on the scene with the day of Pentecost. 
but it is something that God has been doing, that the church is a continuation of God building a people. It has some different aspects to it, as we will see, but it is something that God has always been doing. In Genesis chapter 1, it speaks about the creation of man. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Mankind are image bearers of God. We bear the image of God. We are created for the glory of God. We are created to reflect the glory of God. It's important that we understand that because all things trace back to that. Like our motto says, to the praise of his glory from the book of Ephesians as Paul opens up that letter. It is all to the praise of his glory. This has been a consistent theme. But you know, with the fall of man, those things were marred. The image of God was marred in man. And therefore, God set forth at that point an eternal covenant made with the Son, not just saying my plan failed, I have to come up with a different plan. It is an eternal and consistent plan of how he would bring glory to himself. But he now sets in motion the redemption of mankind. It is introduced in Genesis chapter 3. God says as he pours out the curses upon the man, the woman, and then to Satan, he says, and I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, you shall bruise, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God is going to set forth through the destruction of Satan, through the destruction of death, God is going to set forth one who will come and destroy those things. And that one, of course, is Jesus Christ. There's great conflict that happens, and we see that conflict over and over and over again all through the Scriptures, and we see that conflict even in the book of Acts as God is building his church. In a very significant event, God brings forth a covenant that he gives to Abraham. In that covenant holds many of the promises that we see unfolding in the church. It's important for us to see this and understand it because Abraham is brought out so often in the writings to the church. In Galatians and Romans and various places, the writers will appeal back to this covenant. The covenant is first introduced in Genesis chapter 12. Not only is the redemption that God sets forth individual, where he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, the seed of the woman. Salvation is personal. The church is made up of people, people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But it's even more so than that. It is a group. God sets forth in this covenant with Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation. They're referring to the nation of Israel. Of course, Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob, who is renamed Israel. And God is going to use Israel as a means of bringing glory to his name. But he goes far beyond Israel when he says to Abraham, and all the nations of the earth, in you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Paul alludes back to this as he writes the churches in Galatia. He says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. 
So we see that this gospel, this people, this building of a people for the glory of God extends far beyond the nation of Israel to the Jewish people. It extends to all nations. That's important because right at the core of the beginning, the launching of this book, Jesus says, I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth, to all nations. Walker prayed for a gentleman in East Asia that is suffering great persecution. But he is married, he is a part of the same body that we are, this body of Christ, the church. Jason read this text last week, but I think it bears repeating today because it's so critical in understanding the development and what God is doing in building the church. It begins with a thrust to the Jewish people and then begins to work its way out as the Jewish people, by and large, do not accept Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one who has come to save them from their sins. And so he now makes his way to the Gentiles. Listen to what Jesus says in John 10. I am the good shepherd, he says. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep. Looking here to the disciples, to the nation of Israel. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. They're not of the nation of Israel. I must bring them also. If you can think of the book of Acts playing out this verse, I must bring them. It is God actively working in the lives of people to bring them to himself to build his church, Jew and Gentile. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all these geographic locations, even to the ends of the earth. This gospel message goes for, he says, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Another critical element. What people listen to, what the Spirit of God uses is the voice of God, the Word of God, the moving and the calling of God. We're going to see this simple truth bear forth in this book. They will hear my voice, and now listen to this, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. That flock is the church. It is the body of Christ. It is the people of God. There is one head to the church. That head is Jesus Christ. He is the chief shepherd who guards his people and builds his church. And so the church is not something new, but it is something that is a continuation of what God is eternally doing and building the people and bringing the people to himself for the glory of his holy name. Acts 1.8 Walker read it just a moment ago. Let me read it again. I'm going to bring some emphasis to some words here. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is Jesus speaking to the 11 disciples on the mountain where he's going to be taken away. He ascends to the Father from this place. He says, you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
The first thing I want us to see here that is a common theme through the book, the grace of God in giving of the Spirit, just like we said in our catechism question, the grace of God in giving of the Spirit to empower the church in carrying out the commission of Christ. Jesus gives this incredible, far-sweeping commission. He says in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He says to us, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You talk about an enormous task. You think about that. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Don't ever forget that with this commission comes the gift and the grace of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us. How do we ever accomplish such an overwhelming task? We accomplish it through the grace of God, through the power of God. Don't ever, ever, ever forget that. That's, that's not something you lay aside and embrace all types of manipulations and all types of new plans. When we move away from this truth, we move away from the power that God has ordained in building his church. He's going to build his church through the working of the Spirit of God through his people. Listen to the message. The message is so simple. We're going to see this message unfold through the book of Acts this morning. Be my witnesses. I just want you to tell people about me. I want you to bear witness to who I am. I want you to bear witness to what I have done. If you have that relationship, if you know that voice, you have heard that voice, you have been called unto him, you can bear witness to who Jesus is and what he has done. That's all I want you to do. I want my name to be spread among all the earth that I might receive glory. The Spirit of God will take that message, take that voice, and he will cause people to hear it, and he will bring to them eternal life. And that is how I will build my church. I want you to be my witnesses. And last of all, I want you to take it everywhere. The geography is important to God. How he builds his church is to me so fascinating. I suppose because I've been involved in church planting, we've had the privilege of going to Concord, New Hampshire and planting a church We've been in Virginia Beach, Virginia, in a military community and planted a church. We've gone to Amish country up in that area, Holmes County, Wayne County, Ohio, if you've ever been up in that area, Worcester area, and planted a church. Three very, very different types of geographic places. We've had the privilege of going to New Zealand and there helping train a man to plant churches. So we've had great joy and privilege in seeing churches planted and, and watching others go forth and, and giving guidance and help to them in planting. Matter of fact, a part of my role here is title or job description is over church multiplication. And so when I think about these things, there's such joy in my heart knowing that it is God who is doing these things. 
That is the promise that we go with. And geography is important. And we'll see as he does that, as he guides through the book of Acts. He builds it. If you don't get anything else from the message this morning, I know you are, you you listen so well, and I appreciate that more than you can imagine. Jason and I often talk about what a joy it is to preach to people who listen. And you can tell from their eyes that they appreciate and they're taking in what is being said. Listen carefully to this. God, Jesus, builds his church through the preached gospel. God sovereignly ordained the message to be proclaimed and the truth to be embraced by faith. Don't ever wander from the simplicity of the gospel to make it more palatable, to make it less offensive, to make it anything other than it is. It is through that truth, the simple truth of the good news about Jesus Christ being a witness of Christ that the church was built. I'm going to read some passages of Scripture. I want you to listen carefully as it's going to give us a historical perspective of how the church is built, particularly in those early days. Acts 2, it's the day of Pentecost. Peter's preaching. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised Jesus up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus, Peter's preaching to the crowds that are gathered on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem, and he is proclaiming one central message, Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, I want you to be my witness. I want you to witness about who I am and what I've done. And that's what he's doing here. That's his message. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God moved upon that crowd that day, and there were 3,000 people given life, called to Christ and became a part of what we know as the early church, the formation. Those people, nameless people, but so critically important. And they came to Christ not through some great ploy. They came because Peter bore witness to who Jesus was. Listen to Acts 4.12, 4, 4.11 and 12. This Jesus, over and over and over again, if you, if you like to mark in your Bible, you take that little phrase and mark it, this Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus, pretty soon you're going to say, man, everything in the early church was about Jesus. This Jesus 
is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is of the Lord. That is the message we proclaim. God builds his church through the simplicity of the message of the gospel, and that is what must be embraced by people. Acts 13, I'm not going to take time to read this whole text. I'm, I'm going long. Boy, I'm going to be really long. Acts 17, listen to how Paul would go into a city. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. This is what he did. He explained and proved that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, the Messiah to suffer, and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited one. He is the anointed one. He is the Savior of the people. That's what he would preach. He would just open up the scriptures and show them that Jesus is the Christ. Let me take just a moment. Again, I want to press this into our minds. I'll give you the passage. If, you, if you're taking notes this morning, let me give you all these references. I'll just read a couple. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18, and on down to 21 through 31, that whole context. Or just read all 1 Corinthians 1. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, and then chapter 15. And I'll read just little segments of it. For Christ did not send me, Paul said, to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with the words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of Christ is folly to those who are perishing, but it is to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Why would we ever want to short-circuit the gospel why would we want to put anything else in its place? Why would we want to dumb it down? Why would we want to take away from it? Why would we want to remove its offense and strip it of its power? It is the message whereby God is building his church. It's simple. All of us, we don't need courses, training, we just simply bear witness to Jesus. We tell people who he is, what he has done. He says, we preach Christ crucified, lest the one who boasts, so to make sure that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Chapter 15, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are saved. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
through these centuries, you read Paul, you read Peter, you read about these people, and they just simply are speaking Christ, the gospel. It is that which God uses to draw people to himself and give them eternal life to save their souls and build a church, a people for his name and for his glory. It is through that word. It's interesting, I received a letter from one of our missionaries over in Spain, the Thornbergs, who have spent 40 plus years there laboring. They retired, they loved that nation so much, those people that in their retirement, rather than coming back to the States, they stayed in Spain. She wrote this in her letter. She was reflecting. Older people do that. You reflect on what God does in your life. Listen, I thought this was so interesting in light of my study this week. After all these years, it's still the same. God's word is what will draw people to him. Not special programs, not great music, liturgy, or lack thereof. Not our personalities or even our open hospitality. Only God can draw people to himself. We use the means he provides to have a hearing for the gospel, but we rely on him to do the work of salvation in the hearts of these people we love so strongly. It is the word of God. Why does Randolph Street preach the scriptures? Why do we avoid all the various ploys that you see in church growth books that so often dumb these things down? Because we believe that Christ is building his church through the scriptures, through the gospel. He has simply called us to be his witness. He builds it through people. Lots of people in front of me this morning. God is using you. He is using me. He is using his people. You think about Peter, a fisherman. Peter had a strong personality. You know about Peter. He denied Jesus Christ. Said he didn't even know him. And yet God is using this very imperfect vessel with him proclaiming the word of God to see people saved and build the church. Barnabas, Stephen, Philip, godly men and playing such a strategic role. I've always liked Barnabas. I've always thought if, if I identify with anybody in the scripture, it would be Barnabas. I'm not a Paul. I like to be Paul sometimes, but I'm not Paul. But I'm a, maybe a Barnabas, just trying to encourage people and help people grow in the Lord, and sharing with people. But Barnabas was such a strategic figure. Paul goes off, they, he and Barnabas have a fight. Paul takes Silas and goes one direction. Barnabas takes John Mark. Very little is ever said about Barnabas. But Barnabas was used of God to build the church. People who opened their homes in the book of Acts were used of God to build the church. Paul was a leading voice. Silas, you think about Timothy and Titus, these two younger men saved during Paul's missionary journey and now are used to launch out churches into various areas. T 
Titus goes to the Isle of Crete and Paul says, I'm sending you there to plant churches and ordain elders. That's your whole task and this is how you do it. All these people. You think of the countless number of nameless people in the book of Acts. Every one of them key to the building of Christ's church. I look around this room this morning. I see people that I love. I see people that I know. Some I know better than others, but I see in your faces, in your life, people God is using to build his church. He uses people. Be my witnesses. I will use you. I am going to send you the power is not in you. The power is in the Spirit. The wisdom is not in you. The wisdom is in the gospel. I just want you to go. I just want you to be. I want you to grow. I want you to be involved in helping build people. People are used to build the church all through the book of Acts. If you just keep that in mind, these are people. It's Tim. It's Becky. It's Kevin. It's Megan. It's Roger. It's Walker. It's Gail. It's Carrie. Charlie and Mary, Sean, Michael and Rachel, Troy, Great House family. I mean, it's us. If we lived in it, we would be a part of this. It's us. We're nothing great, but we are used in a great cause for the glory of God, to the praise of his glory. And we have this, and the book of Acts just unfolds. Don't miss it. Don't miss how he's doing it. Don't miss that you're a part of it. Not in those first 30 years, but right now, today, you're a part of it. It's why you care for each other. It's why you take things that are not important that'll split us to pieces and you cast it aside. That's why you say the church is important. It's important that I'm being there. I'm not just a no-name. I have a job. Act, or Ephesians 4 so good in pointing this out. Oh, I could just go on and on and on. Acts 14, it says he appointed elders. Never a, nine, never a name given. He just goes into these cities after he preaches the gospel, makes disciples, men who are being raised up, men who have good qualities, and he appoints them to lead the church. Never a name given. My name's not going to be in there. Your name's certainly not in there. Certainly, historically, it's not going to be there. But it's important to God. We do what we're called to do, and we do it by the grace of God. God sovereignly builds his church by strategically sending people into neighborhoods and the nations. Two examples I want to share with you, and there, there are different ones, but I just bring these to mind because they're, they're easy to see. Acts 8, listen. And there arose on that day, Stephen has just been martyred, killed. <laughs> That's a great advertisement for the church. Come, get killed. And there arose on that day a great persecution, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
God geographically uses persecution to send people, to build his church. He uses obstacles to take people in different places in strategically building his church. God is the mastermind. This isn't something that's just random. God is strategically building his church. Listen to this little passage. Acts 16. It's Paul's second missionary journey. He's basically just going back through the area of his first missionary journey, strengthening the, the, the saints, and he's going to push into a further area in the north that makes perfect sense why he would do that. Acts 16. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, that's something that you try to get your head around. Why? God has a plan. He is strategically building his church as he takes it to the nations. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing through Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia, present-day Europe, Turkey. Come over to Macedonia, Greece, and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God is just moving. You think about the Millers going to Ghana. Think about the McFarland spending those years in Uganda. Now God is moving them and doing certain things. I think about us going to New England. I'd been to New England one time. I went there on vacation with my parents when my brother was in the Navy in Newport, Rhode Island. We went up there. I was five, so I didn't remember a whole lot about New England. But I knew there was a need there, and God just, I could, I mean, it's a long story. It's a glorious story because God's at the center of it. But I'll not give you the details other than to say that, that God moves. When he took us to Amish country, I thought, why Amish country? My goodness. I mean, who needs the gospel in Amish country? There were a lot of people that needed the gospel. The very works-oriented teachings there. But he took us there. Took us to Virginia Beach to a military community. Most of our church family was military families just coming and in our six years there, we had three churches. Every two years, you got a new church. Why? I don't know. Other than God moving people to accomplish his objective in building the church, taking the gospel to the nations, and someday Revelation 7 is going to be true. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. He's talking about heaven. He's seen a scene in heaven. He's getting that glimpse into heaven, John is. A multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. God is building his church. Don't miss it in the book of Acts. 
Don't miss it. Don't get caught up in the week-to-week passages that we're doing and miss the big picture. That's why the introduction. Watch God build his church. Secondly, be a part of it. Be a part of God building the church. It's important. You just can't walk around it. It's important. It's right there. Thirdly, respect and utilize God's means of building his church. Might we always do that? Randolph Street is not a perfect church by any stretch of the imagination. Never will be. But pray that God will keep us focused on the simplicity of how he is building the church. And let us embrace it, engage in it for the glory of God. Not the glory of man, but the glory of Christ. That we can say that Christ indeed has built his church. Amen? Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing these great truths. You know the joy they bring to my own soul. Trust, Lord, that you have used them today to just whet the appetite, maybe put something in minds that will be helpful as we study. Many, Lord, who are here today love these truths deeply. So, Father, I pray you would use your word, use this time this morning. I trust that we have sought to glorify you. We have sought to lift you up and exalt you. And I pray, Lord, as we finish up our time here today, these words would rest in our hearts, produce fruit for your glory. Father, that we, as we finish up, would give you honor and glory through singing. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand.
Listen to the Apostle Paul in the last letter that he would write shortly before his own martyrdom. Press this truth into Timothy. Mighty press it into our hearts as we walk into another week for the glory of God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. God.